Would you guys, you know, quickly open your Bibles to the book of Acts? I, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a lot of, uh, of changes around here lately, right? Actually, while you're turning there, I don't know if you noticed, but in the Washington Post this week, they did a story on our little church here. Uh, the story between what's happening and what's continuing to happen, and so thankful for what the Lord's doing there. But the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. There's two different cultures there. If you know anything about church history, you know that Jesus was Jewish and he came out of a Jewish background. And so Hellenists would have been more Greek. And so there was a dispute that was more cultural than racial, but it is not unlike what we see a lot today. It says that their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. And then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables for all of you who have been waiters, uh, like I have for six years. <laughs> Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And Prochorus, and I'm telling you, I don't know if that's going to be a new baby name coming out this year, but I always hope. <laughs> Nicanor, Timon, not from Timon and Pumbaa, but <laughs> Arminus, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Father, would you give us wisdom as we dive into your scriptures for just these few moments? You promised that your word would be a light and a lamp. For each of us, boy, do we need that. We need that lamp and that light in our lives. And today, as I speak, let not my words be your words. Let not my will but your will be done. In your name we pray. Amen. A lot of changes around here. A lot of changes. Actually, at the Tyler House, there's been a lot of changes. About a year ago, we moved uh, out to College Grove from Franklin. After living in Franklin for a long time and being city dwellers, we decided it was like the Clampets. We couldn't get our rocking chair on top of the roof, but everything else felt about the same. We moved reverse. We moved to the country. And when you move to the country, there's things that you experience that you didn't experience in town. You kind of have to. It's new things you have to deal with. Like one of them was when someone is shooting off the back deck, who cleans up the uh, shelves? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't know if we really settled that debate because that was from this morning. Um, <laughs> but you got to, you know, we don't know. We'd have to deal with that in Franklin. <laughs> There's the, the problem of the beautiful scenery, but if you open up the patio door, it turns into Lord of the Flies inside. I don't know if you've uh, looked at it in the country there, but uh, that's like the fly tip hanging out of our patio because we leave the patio door open. It's literally like Lord of the Flies inside, so we're going to clean the Again, something else we never really had to experience when we lived in town. But then there's the things you get to discover that you didn't know were awesome, like tractor supply. <laughs> <laughs> Ethan, who's sitting in here this morning, loves to go to the tractor supply. 
um, a whole new world. But one of the things I discovered in Tractor Supply, a whole new thing, were these electric flash Are you familiar with them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
There are theologians that would say that that means just hanging out and having dinner. So we're going to do that next week. There are theologians who I would agree with that say that breaking of bread was a Jewish idiom. It spoke of, of communion, of the body that was broken and the, the Lord's Supper. And so whichever of them, just in case we get one of those, well, we're going to go ahead and devote ourselves to help them. We have communion available every week here at Conduit. Because it's a moment where we can be devoted to the reminder of what Jesus did for us and in prayer. And we ought to be, we need to be, prayer isn't a fallback plan. It's the greatest gift we have, which is to go and to commune with the Lord. Devoted to those four things. Now here's the deal. If you're a church devoted to that simplicity, to those four things, then what's going to happen, this is the response to all that. Is when they were devoted to that, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. And verse 44, and the believers were together and they had anything in common, they were helping each other. Incidentally, there was no government program insisting that they do that. It was the Holy Spirit prompting them to. Huge difference. And the Holy Spirit might speak to you to help somebody out this week. We've been helping uh, one of our single moms in the church, but the Holy Spirit put it on my wife's heart and put it on the hearts of some of you that went to help this week. Not because there was some edict dropped or because there was some mandate, but that's we're just helping because that's what the Holy Spirit led them to do. They sold their property and possessions they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together in glad and sincere hearts, praising God, verse 47, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Boy, what a beautiful picture of church. What a beautiful picture of what the Holy Spirit can do to a body of believers who just devote themselves to simplicity, to not policies and procedures and programs and systems, but to Jesus, what the Holy Spirit can speak in their hearts. And I think that that is something that the Lord did there in Acts 6, 1-9. Because what was happening was, it was actually a foregone conclusion that they were taking care of widows in there. Body. And as the church was growing, what happens when churches grow and when people show up that somebody gets lost in the shuffle, somebody falls between the cracks? But then the Lord can move and the Lord can speak in people's hearts. And what would what could happen is we could drop an edict and say, okay, we have this new program, everybody has to sign up. Or what we could do is follow maybe the playbook that they built for us here in Acts 6 and look at what happened with them. And say, is there something that we can learn from what they did in Acts chapter 6? Again, same thing, the church that was growing, and new people were added, and needs were, were overflowing. What did we do? What did they do? And I think that there is absolutely some stuff we can learn from these guys. The word serve tables. If you look there and say that we're not made to serve tables, I think it's verse 2, is the word diakoneo which is where we get our word deacon from. Deacon, which, if I were to ask everybody just to fill out a form and define deacon, it would be probably a hundred different definitions. Because we've all grown up in a church or something, you haven't, but for those that have, you've been around, you know, deacon is this, or deacon is the rule guy, or deacon is this person, or this girl, that. And really what it means, serve, to serve. A deacon is to serve. And what happened when they realized they've got all kinds of needs in front of them. There's all this need. There are these widows. And in that day and age, a widow 
was in trouble. It wasn't like she could go out and get a job. It wasn't like she could get the lecture of, well, you could just go get a job. She, there was no job. There was no option. She was cosmically hosed. And so, without government programs, without a thing she could sign up for, what better thing than for the church to spring into action and to help them? Now, at Conduit, we've been doing that around the world for a while. Globally, we've been helping widows, and we've been helping orphans, and we've been doing it here locally as well. I'd say we've done it better globally, but I believe just like when you're building a house, you don't build it all at once, you've got to build it in stages, and I believe that there's a big move locally for us as well to see what are the needs in our local community. But when these needs pop up, when we say, what is the need here, or Columbia, or College Grove, Spring Hill, Thompson Station, Franklin, wherever the Lord has got us, what they did there that I think we've got to learn was they didn't, they didn't put a program in place. They sent people. You see, when you send a program, it's a lot like, if you've been around Conduit, you've heard me refer to this, I want to give you an update on it. Around the world, this program has been deployed by technologists, the One Laptop Per Child program. The idea was if we could get laptops into the hands of every child around the world in abject poverty, we could then save them with education. So 2.5 million of these laptops were built. They literally commissioned technologists to build them. 2.5 million of them were deployed. Last month, the program was all but shut down after $200 million was spent. Because they're in Peru and uh, Lima, Peru, there are places around the world, cities, where they began to look at the test scores and see, well, how's this working out? The test scores changed exactly zero. None. And now, seven years into this program, these little computers are long outliving their usefulness, their parts, just like, you know, this morning our coffee pot is toast yet again at the Tyler House. Technology doesn't last. I mean, if you've been around a while, you know, those refrigerators used to be built to last. Not so much anymore. And those laptops are all falling by the wayside. $200 million flushed down a global toilet and of no use to us today. But you know what changes lives? Not a program, but Paul. Paul is a teacher in Jacques Mel, Haiti. Paul's on fire for Jesus. And those kids in that little school, Restoration Academy, they love Paul. Paul has no technology. Paul sleeps in a shack with a little bed that he's very excited about, by the way. We've been sending him to college. We've been sending him to university. We are not investing in a program. We're investing in a person. What changes lives are people like Joanne Swain, who's been a teacher her whole life, her adult life. When you invest in a person who's one-on-one with them. That's what they did then. They said, we're going to appoint seven people. And I know that theologians will say that that is the first appointing of deacons. I don't disagree with that. What I might add to that was if we redefine deacon as someone who's called to serve the body, it means we can all be on some levels and ways deacons. Because what they did was not just a deacon, they appointed a group of deacons. Because in that group, we're guys that are, you know, there's the who's who of Scripture, and then there's the who's that of Scripture. We've got who's who's and who's that's. But they get an honorable mention in the New Testament. 
by inspiration of the Holy Spirit as servants who walked in and solved the problem together. In January in Gondo, we started implementing this in our small groups and saying to you, hey, if you're going to get together and serve and seek the Lord and, and pray, we'd love that. But let's awaken the possibility in our hearts that a small, committed group of Christ followers has enough gifts, passions, talents in ourselves that when we get together, we can change our cities, we can change the world. There's a, a quote by Margaret Mead that says, that never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Maybe that's the reason Jesus just invested in 12 at the beginning. Because then those 12 went on and invested in other small groups. And in our small groups, man, what a great opportunity this year we've had. We've seen money that was raised for uh, the hospice in Nepal. There's uh, an entire new waiting room at Place of Hope down in Columbia, Tennessee, because a group of believers like Ted and Carrie and Cortland, who's back with their kids today, and I shouldn't even start naming names because I won't get everybody, just said, to yes to the Holy Spirit, we're going to go do something as a group of believers. They didn't appoint a program, they appointed people. They didn't say, here's the new edict. It was just, this is what the Holy Spirit's already doing. We're taking care of widows and orphans because that's what we do. But we need to make sure that these orphans aren't overlooked or these widows are taken care of. And so together, this group of people can take care of it. And did you notice, I used to read that as almost like condescending. Well, we don't want it. We can't be bothered with waiting tables. You know what it was, I believe? You don't look. There's many things that I can do that you'd love me to do. Let me take what you don't want me to do. Just come over and fix your air conditioner. <laughs> you don't want me to get out and try to tingle around on your motorcycle to fix it. You don't want me anywhere near that. I can't preach your motorcycle back to life again. I'm terrible at math. My kids, unfortunately, some of them have picked up that anointing from me. <laughs> but you know, let me tell you, if you're a widow and you're in desperate need, if you're a little boy in Haiti and your mama is sick and dying and your daddy's gone and you don't want to see me come preach you out of that, you need Paul to show up. You need the part of the body that was designed to change, literally, change people's lives. At conduit, there isn't a level of higher or lower. It's, that just happens to be the gift. When you look at Romans 12, the spiritual gifts that he speaks of there, that mine happens to be teaching, arguably. <laughs> mine isn't administration. Mine isn't go through and later and read those and realize that what they did, I believe, when you probably look at those 12, or those seven that they appointed, incidentally, seven spiritual gifts listed in Romans 12, seven people were appointed. And if you go and look at their names, if you want to go do a study of the Word later today, and look at their names and what they meant and their language, and you could literally match them up against each of the spiritual gifts listed in seven. Seven places that Jesus bled from. I believe He paid for those perfectly, the gifts that are inside of us. Why would we not? Employ, deploy every one of them, not programs, but people. The second thing that they did was they deployed a strategy, not a system. When I think of a system, a system is cold and lifeless. A system says, if you fill out this, you know what a system is? I filled it out like, what is it, nine months ago, we started trying to get health insurance. That was a system. Nine months later, the system finally got our kids on health insurance like last week. <laughs> 
The system is lifeless and cold and unhelpful. And I know it's easy to sit and throw rocks at the government system, but church systems, we can get in the same exact trouble. Because the system says, if you're in need and you're a widow in our church, well, you have $300 already, then you better get a job. A system can't take into account the fact that maybe something else happened. But a strategy, a strategy says, you know what, the Holy Spirit, i got to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to make a judgment call. To maybe what's the worst that could happen? We help somebody a little more than what the system said. But if we employ a person and a strategy, not a program and a system, that's what Acts chapter 6, I believe, is indicating. I believe it's what our playbook for condiment could be. And let me tell you, when you have a strategy, I was blessed to be a part of a board meeting with Benny Prophet. I just, I mentioned it in passing, but it's worth mentioning again. Benny started in 25 years ago, a little thing called First Priority. And it was a strategy for discipling young men and women. Student-led inside of the schools around America. Today, just in the United States, there are over 10,000 First Priority Clubs. It's larger than Youth for Christ, YWAM, and there's one other one I'm going to forget, so I'm not going to say it, just in case you get it wrong. There's three of them, but I'm going to say two of them combined. And it's not because Benny is smarter than Bill Bright, for no way, absolutely not. But what Benny did was employ a strategy and not a system. And a strategy means that you could be sitting in a room with a teenager, I'm going to fall on this thing. You could be sitting in a room with a teenager in Birmingham, Alabama, like I did two weeks ago, who's now 20, who said, I just thought it was something my youth pastor came up with. I didn't know there was a thing called first priority. And as we sat in that board meeting, we're sitting with some guys that literally have uh, resources beyond what I could comprehend. And what they're saying, Betty, is you've got to treat this like a franchise. The people on the other side are going to pay money back to you, and that, that's how you can fund your ministry, because it's always the question, how are we going to fund this? And Benny said, no, 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 that's not how we're going to do this. Because a strategy doesn't require you to pay a franchise tax. And it was kind of funny, because we're talking about it like in terms of Uganda and Kenya, and this is Indonesia, that's where Benny is this morning. Benny's part of our fellowship, but this morning he's getting ready to launch First Priority in Jakarta. These are the young men and women who will be leading this strategy. And a strategy that basically allows them to depend on the Holy Spirit. What's the strategy? We're going to employ some of this actually with our, our children and our teenagers in the coming days and weeks and months. Because the strategy allows for young men and women to mentor and disciple other young men and women. Here's why this is important. Communist Russia, when they came, when the communists came and they tried to destroy the church, they were mostly successful. And they were successful because in communist Russia, it was all centralized. There were cathedrals, and it was about magnifying the messenger and not the message. And so all they had to do was take out the leaders. I have to report that the Lord is on the move in Russia, that there are things happening today, the Holy Spirit is on the move. But compare that to communist China, when they tried to crush Christianity and the church there. They failed miserably. Because you take out a house church pastor, what do you do? They got 5,000 more of them. 
Where do you even start when, the, when it's decentralized, when it's birthed in simplicity, when it's not about a program, when it's not about a system, but it's about a person? It's about a strategy, the gospel, which is true in every situation. And in America, listen to me clearly, if we don't get this right in the next 25 years, the face of the church is going to change dramatically. It's already changed. But culture war, we've already lost that. If it's about a centralized location with a guy like me being magnified, well, first of all, that ain't going to work anyway, but any other guy being magnified if it's a central thing, it won't, it isn't, it won't work. And I believe the reason it doesn't is because it was never meant to be that way. Deploy the people. Send you guys, send me, us out. Because it comes with what that has meant for us. Over these past few years, there hasn't been a lot of, hardly any of, an edict being dropped from the pulpit saying, okay, this is our new thing, this is a new initiative. Now it's been people like Audrey who said, I really feel like the Lord is saying, I need to be able to take this medical training that I've had and take it to the nations. And we say, absolutely. Let's pray about that. What's the Lord doing? How can we come alongside and to invest in that? It's about people like Tim and Edie Sonia and MXTV and what they're doing around the world with the television show. We didn't tell them to do that. The Holy Spirit did. My job is to not get in the way. I have to put it under the covering of us. I might be stepping in it, so I apologize. But I want you to just look to the New Testament and tell me the only two places you can find a covering. One is the covering of a husband over a wife. The other is the covering of Jesus over the church. So do that what you want. But what is the Lord putting in your heart to do? Tim, he's put it in your heart to go to all the world through television. He's been doing it for longer than any other television show on Christian television right now. And we'd say, what? When you go to places like Pakistan, Togo, and you find that there's the gospel piercing past the borders, because it's coming in from over, like an aerial. When the Lord puts on Jeff and Sheila Feller's heart, and we need to go to Russia. How can we get around and, and help what they're doing? And, and locally, with Place of Hope, I just confirmed Mike Coop's going to come join us from Place of Hope in the coming weeks to share more about what we've done at Place of Hope and what's happening there. The, the poor, the oppressed, who are, when you want to talk about people who love Jesus, people who have been found freedom from drug and alcohol addiction, who have gone from the lowest of lows and they've been forgiven of much, and man, they love much. Mike's coming back here, but I look around this room and my mother was a counselor there and still speaks into a lot of the lives of those who are in that place, I don't know if Dolores is here or not, but Dolores, several others of you guys, and I know that uh, Christy answered the Lord put on your heart to go and to speak and to invest in them. And I can go on and on and on. But let me tell you, if I were to drop down the edict and say that the only way that we're doing anything in this church is if you fill out the application and you go through, I mean, I can bring you to the dark room with the bright light and three of us will sit down and grill you with questions. We're not getting anything done. But if I say to you, Jim Henderson, you have a heart for teenagers. You and Donna go and just, what is the Lord leading you to do? How can we surround you and invest in you with that? What an amazing way church can be run. If you, I think it was Eisenhower, I might get this quote wrong, but it's amazing what you can get done when you don't care who gets the credit for it. Mm-hmm. That's good. When you look at what Congo has done, it's, it's 
Because my job is literally just to get out of the way. And what's the Lord doing? And I look to the future, and I see a room full of people that love the Lord. And I say to you, what is God speaking to you? What is God putting in your heart? And maybe that's, and I'll tell you, one of the clues of where it might be is you're saying, man, I sure wish they did this thing to the church. Sure wish they do that in the church. Maybe the Lord is tapping on your shoulder. In your pain, say, hey, you've got a bright idea. Maybe it's the Spirit speaking to you. Because I tell you what, if you're waiting for me to issue an edict from the pulpit, we ain't got one. That's all we got. I'm saying to you, what's the Spirit saying in your life? And you think, man, this seems like a recipe for confusion. Your body, at any given moment, right now, your body is doing exactly what it needs to do, what it's supposed to do, because the head is sending messages through the nervous system. And I'd say that as Jesus, not me, Jesus is the head of our church, that the Holy Spirit, through your nervous system, so to speak, the Holy Spirit will move and begin to put on your heart and prompt your, and before you know it, amazing things are happening. Oh, and sure, we're going to trip and fall. I'm one of the clumsier guys you'll meet. You're going to trip and fall. You're going to risk, you're going to fail sometimes. But man, the Lord is just as much in the success as he is in the failure. But I wonder if what he wants us to do is like, well, like David did. Remember David looking over the, the, the valley and he sees the city and he says, that's, that's supposed to be the capital. That's our city. And he looks to his men and says, whoever figures out how to get in there will be my general. Remember the story of Jacob. He, he sneaks in, he figures out a way. If you go there today, you can see this aqueduct that still exists. And it's like, how on earth did he even get in there? How did he get up there? But he did, and he was made to be the general until the day he died. I wonder if the Lord is saying to you this morning, I see this city. And somewhere, if you'll find a way in, you'll dig deep and figure it out, and I'll make you my general. Serve beside me, take risks. And you fail today, you get up and you try it again tomorrow. Our culture is so scared of failing. Which we have time to go into the list of things that's created by messing something up and something else genius happens. But not the least of it, just going to a church. We just thought we were a Bible study on our website. I'm sorry, on my space. It said, we're not a church. We just act like one. Because we didn't know what we were doing. We just thought, I just knew that there were some kids that needed some help. There was like 15 of them. That's about as much thought as we put into it. And the, the Lord, as we woke up every day, and said, what do from today, Lord? And sometimes we, and I'll tell you, every time I stop feeling peace about it, is when I start trying to program this thing. When I start trying to see a problem, okay, well, we've got to get a system in place, and we'll solve that. This week, I was on the phone with uh, Tony Simpson. Again, happy since you birthday, Tony. And he was nervous about some stuff. And he's an elder. He's a guy about this. And I'm like, Tony, your job is to be nervous. That's your spiritual gift. What do you know to Tell us what does we need to do. And he's great at it, by the way. <laughs> he is the string on my balloon. And I mean, to be clear, it wasn't any ethical. It's like, what do we do about this? How do we report that? A lot of money flows through this church. And at some point, we're going to have some fun government, somebody coming up and our door will look at somebody and smile at him and say, hey, it's like okay. Today, we're just keeping it clean. I'm going to end with this. Musicians are going to join us today. I know we covered a lot of ground this morning. Simplicity. Could we go back to the simplicity? When we talked about it, even in an elders group, one of our elders a while back has actually since moved on, Russ Franklin, 
to uh, Texas. He mentioned, yeah, but Darren, they didn't always stay in Acts 2.42. Eventually they got to this and that, and maybe that's where the problems came in. Maybe the reason they had to write 2 Corinthians was because they got all confused and tried to make rules and regulations, and you can look throughout history and see that the church throughout history has done some really dumb stuff when you're listening to a program and not a person. That's right. And I'm going to end with this. Jesus told a parable that was, I think, a little puzzling the first time I read it. A little confusing. Because he said that the kingdom of God would be like a mustard seed, the smallest of all of the seeds, but when it's fully grown, it's going to grow into a great tree and all the birds are going to roost it. And here's why that's puzzling to me. Because at no time in history, at no minute in history, was there ever a mustard seed that grew into a tree. They grew into plants. You see the mustard plant? You know, mustard doesn't come from the store, right? There's a plant. <laughs> I didn't know that. I wonder if it's not puzzling, but it's actually prophetic. And it's profound. Because when you look in the scriptures, especially in the parables, a bird is always a picture of evil. What was one of the things that came and stole the word and the sower of the word? The bird. Maybe it's not so much a promise this is prophetic saying that the danger is going to be that the kingdom of God can grow into this abnormally large tree with branches everywhere and that all kinds of birds will come and roost in your midst and the birds coming in you got all room for all the birds going to just take away what God wants to take So we could sit on down below and shoot the birds with BB guns, or we could just allow the Lord to decentralize what's happening at Conduit and say, not a single tree, but an entire field of mustard plants everywhere. From the tiniest of seeds, and that means what God is doing in your thing and my thing, that if my mustard plant gets cut down and I'm gone tomorrow, there's an entire pasture growing and encroaching upon the city. Let that maybe be the warning and the admonition for us this morning. And we're not concerned about titles. I introduced myself as one of the pastors at Conduit on purpose. There's a lot of pastors in this room. There's only one shepherd, and that's Jesus. And maybe I've been in the hospital a little longer than some of you, and I know which nurses are nice and not, and which food to avoid in the cafeteria. Maybe that's just what a pastor is. We're all in need of a great physician. Jesus. And I can see a church. I see it right now. Of us all finding the spiritual gift of what God has put in our hearts. Not a title, not a program or system, but what is God doing in your heart? And then how, if the Lord is blessing it and leads us to do that as a church, can we come beside you? And imagine what can be accomplished in our small groups, in your ministry in your town, in your neighborhood, in your family. You're not so concerned about growing this giant, majestic oak tree as much as it is a pasture of faith and of the Holy Spirit that spreads for as far as the eye can see. I hope you can see that. Father, would you give us wisdom this morning and direction and guidance of what do these things mean for us? As we worship you, Lord, as we bow our knees to you as we say not my will but thy will be done not Darren's will but your will be done conduit is a description it's not a name it might be the conduits of your spirit 
give us meaning, give us application for that today. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we continue to sing. Oh.